Open your Bible to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. You know, uh, the Bible talks about weapons all through it, talks about weapons, talks about our weapons, talks about uh, the enemy's weapons, the weapons of our adversary. And did you know to some people it's a revelation that we, in fact, have an adversary? Did you know the devil's favorite uh, tactic is to convince people that he, in fact, does not exist? Because if the devil doesn't exist, then we don't have anything to be worried about. But if the devil does exist, then somebody had to have made him, therefore there is a God. Now there are certain amounts of Christians, matter of fact, 94% of Americans believe uh, in heaven, which I think is not a terrible thing. However, only 50% believe in God. So if there's a heaven, who made it? God made heaven. God made earth. In Jesus' name, uh, uh, Jesus is uh, going to come back for us one day. We're going to rise out of here and meet Him in the sky just like He left. We're going to go with. We're going to go meet Him and spend eternity in glory and all kind of wonderful things are going to happen. But the reality is, is you and I are in warfare right now. We're in the middle of our summer of protein. Uh, I have a good friend of mine. And, and, and he, he's very uh, big into nutrition and things like that. And, and he'll lay out for you how much protein that you're supposed to eat on a daily basis. And my question is, how much protein is in a tortilla and a piece of cake? Everybody say, thank God for Tex-Mex. Uh, have you ever been up north and they don't have any Mexican food up there and you're trying to find you a tortilla and some salsa and they, they pull out the paste picani, you know what I'm talking about? And you're just like, never mind, give me a burger. Thank God for Tex-Mex. So the reality is, is you're in a battle. You're in a war all the time. It never stops. The devil never gets tired. He's not going to get, he's not going to quit coming after you. Uh, but the reality is, is he's defeated in the name of Jesus. This is, it's a done deal. It's a foregone conclusion. But you and me, we still need to go through this thing. Open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, beginning in verse number 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Though we are human beings, though we are human beings, we do not battle like human beings battle. No, God did not tell you to wake up this morning uh, and get ready to punch the devil in the nose physically. The idea of that happening, it's just not going to happen. Even Jesus Christ Himself, whenever He was face-to-face with, face -face with the devil in the wilderness, He did not uh, get physical with Him. No, He fought Him on a spiritual basis because though we are, uh, uh, though we are here uh, in the flesh, we do not walk after the flesh and we do not war after the flesh. But just because we do not war after the flesh does not mean we do not war. The kingdom suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So for you and for me, it's imperative. Did you know uh, that every church in America, uh, they will not spend a lot of time teaching you how to fight? Yet Jesus spoke about fighting all the time. The New Testament, especially the apostles, teach on fighting all the time. It's basically, if you read from the book of Acts through Revelation, it just as well be an MMA manual in the Spirit. 
It's teaching you how to uh, overcome the devil, how to resist the devil, how to defeat the devil. Because the devil has one job and one job alone. Once he loses the access to take your soul to hell where he... Where actually hell was not even made for you. It wasn't made for humans. Hell was made for the devil and the angels that followed him. But there's people who will go there. They will spend all eternity there. Even though the very heavens and earth cry out and talk about the goodness of God, there are people that will, uh, in their last breath, have rejected Jesus Christ for their entire life. And when that happens, they will spend eternity separated from God. But you and me have to recognize that His job, when you are blood-bought, when you are born again, you, His job is no longer to take you to hell. His job is to stop you from taking other people to heaven. So in your life and in my life, we have to recognize that we are, in fact, in a war. For the weapons, the weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty. Everybody say mighty. Mighty through God to the pulling down uh, of strongholds. You know, we have weapons because we need weapons, but our weapons are mighty. How are they mighty? They are mighty through God. You know, you're not going to feel strong all the time. The Apostle Paul said, where I am weak, he is strong. The weapons of your warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. You have to recognize that for the rest of your life, you are going to be in battle. That means that you are in battle between your ears. That means you are in battle with your faith walk. You are in battle with your prayer life. You are in battle uh, when your friend is trying to convince you that the Supreme Court is the highest authority in the land. I disagree. The Word of God is the highest authority in the land. And I don't care what the Supreme Court says about it. So in your life and in my life, we have to get to the place where we begin to exercise our spiritual weapons that are mighty, but they're not mighty through our own ability. They are mighty through God. Everybody say, through God. Your weapons are mighty through God. We're going to find out what our weapons are in just a moment. Casting down, verse 5, verse 5, casting down imaginations. One translation says, arrogant obstacles. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now that word casting down there in the original, it's the word to violently throw down. Lester Summerall said it like this. Uh, the great apostle, uh, great evangelist. Uh, that literally would, would not just tell devils to leave, but he'd tell devils to come in the room and move his furniture around for him. Very powerful man. Very powerful. But he said, you're not responsible for every thought that comes in your head, but you are exclusively responsible for what you do with it. That means when you, hear, you have a thought come between your ears, uh, Ephesians talks about it being a fiery dart. When you have a thought come in your head, that's contrary to the knowledge of God, what you do with it is up to you at that moment. My life was changed about 15 years ago uh, when a pastor was preaching a sermon. He's one of my good friends today, one of the guys that I seek for counsel oftentimes. And he said this, he said, Temptation to sin is not sin. And the devil will get you to repent for being tempted when you didn't do anything to be tempted. 
Some of you may have had bad thoughts come into your mind and you've spent the next six hours trying to repent of it, but it wasn't your thought anyway. And the fact that you didn't act on it is, is you following the Scripture where you're violently casting down an imagination that's contrary to the Word of God. So we've got to get to the place where we dissect. Is that me? Is that God? Is that the devil? If it's you, oftentimes, uh, it can go both ways. You've got to crucify your flesh. But if it's the enemy of God, it's very simple. If it's causing any anxiety in you, it's not God. If it's causing stress and strain and doubt and unbelief in you, it's not God. Therefore, through your life, you've got to be good at exercising your spiritual muscles. And when you receive one of those thoughts in your head, you've got to get violent about it because the violent take by force. And you've got to cast down that thought that is contrary to the knowledge of God. Somebody say amen. Amen. There's something about living for God that calls you to a higher plane of thinking. A higher level of thought process. There's nothing like living for God when the enemy begins to come in like a flood. The scripture says that God himself will elevate. He will raise a standard against him. But that standard is contributed to and by your strong processes of casting down the fiery dark thoughts that the enemy is throwing at you. So your life and my life, we have to get good at throwing down the thoughts that are contrary to God and bringing into captivity every thought. Bringing into captivity every thought. Did you know your mind is one of the most dangerous places on the planet? Because in your mind, you will either believe that you are saved that you are filled with God, that you are sanctified, that God is going to supply your needs according to His riches and glory, that you're healed by His stripes, that healing is the children's bread, that you're blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed coming in, blessed going out, or you're going to receive and you're going to believe the lie of the devil. But it all starts right here. When somebody built this beautiful movie theater that we're sitting in right now, somebody either pulled out a piece of paper and a pencil, which is not very likely in the age that we're in, But the reality is, is they either used a pencil and paper or a computer and they began to take the idea that was in their mind and then they began to put it in the natural. You and me have to get good at regulating our mind. You have to have your mind renewed. The Bible says you literally have the mind of Christ. Jesus had thorns pushed into his head to let you know that he bled even there so that you could experience a sound mind. But so many times in our life, the attack comes in and it's a subtle attack. And it sounds like this. It sounds, I know God's going to. I know He's able. I know He's about to. I know things are going to change. But, can I just say it politely? Get your butt out of your prayer life. If God said it, believe it. Did you know I only need one scripture to hold on to? If you talk to even Christians nowadays, a lot of times you'll read a Bible verse to them. For instance, 3 John, uh, verse number 2, where it says, Brethren, above all things, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And then they will want to reference 800 other scriptures to try to disprove what the Bible said. I said, I don't use the Bible to disprove the Bible. I use the Bible to back up the Bible. I need one scripture and one scripture alone. And bless God, I am the redeemed. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I will hold on to it until Jesus raptures us out of here or somebody puts me in the ground at 120 years old. 
But I'm not going to back off on believing the Scripture just because somebody else has a different experience. Your experience may be contrary to the Word, but the Word will never, never, never return void. The Scripture goes on to say, bring every thought uh, into the obedience of Christ, having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Uh, That's literally still talking about your mind. It would be a close reference uh, to crucifying your flesh. So when you have a thought that's contrary to God, no, you've got to think of it being crucified to a tree. You've got to think of it being pierced and, and held away from everything close to you. You've got to take the thoughts. Listen, if you can win the battle between your mind, you are unbeatable in the, in the natural. If you can win the battle in your mind, and you don't win the battle in your mind uh, by laying on a couch every week and telling somebody, now, now listen, you go to see a counselor, I'm all for it, but I just think you ought to be seeing a Christian counselor. Somebody say Amen. Listen, if it's not founded in the Word of God, it might be good news, but it's not the good news. There's something about living for God that will change everything about your life, including your ability uh, to crucify your flesh. But uh, when it comes to the weapons of our warfare, we have to understand first the will of God to understand the weapons of God. The will of God is a very interesting thing. It could be categorized in two different categories. Number one, the general will of God. The general will of God is, is, is almost simple, even though simple might be a, a, a too plain way to say it. But the will of God for your life is to prosper and be in health. The will of God for you is to spend eternity in heaven. The will of God for you is to be healed by the stripes on Jesus' back. The will of God for you is to experience life and life more abundant. The will of God for you is a healthy marriage. The will of God for you is children raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And when they get old, they won't depart from it. The will of God for you can be found in the leather and paper pages of the Holy Bible, which is the bestseller, the, 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 the number one best-selling book that has ever been printed in history. The general will of God for your life can be found there. But the personal will of God is different for everybody. For instance, the personal will of God in my life uh, was to uproot my family about three years ago and bring them to a town called College Station, called an area called the Brazos Valley, Bryan College Station, and to plant a Holy Ghost church. And let me just put a little emphasis there. A Holy Ghost church. We need the power of God more today than we've ever needed it in the church. And if you can't experience the power of God in church, bless God, where are you going to experience it? So God told me to come over here and put a church in and to bring my family and to raise my family here and to uh, meet wonderful people like you. But that's the personal will of God for my life. That comes from you hearing the voice of God. And how do you hear the voice of God? Sometimes it's a still small voice. Sometimes, if you're really not good at listening, it's a blaring sign in front of you. Sometimes it's, it's a gentle nudge. Sometimes it's a closed door that you wanted to walk through. Sometimes it's an open door that you weren't expecting. But the personal will of God for your life differs from everybody else. You know, everybody has their own fingerprint. Everybody is unique. The Bible says He knows how many hairs are on your head. Some of you, it's easier for God to count than others. But your life, the personal will of God for your life, is different for every single person. 
but the general will of God can be found in His Bible. It's the same with the weapons of our warfare. Our spiritual weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But our personal weapons are something very unique. The book of Revelations, chapter number 12, talks about we overcome with a two-part recipe. One part, blood of the Lamb. One part, word of testimony. So in your life and in my life, we get good at overcoming because the Lamb of God shed His spotless blood and because of the word of our testimony. Testimony is a word we don't use very often in this day and age unless you're going to court. And it literally means your record or your evidence. So every single thing that you go through in your life becomes the evidence that God will take you through the next thing. Therefore, every single thing that you endure in your life is where you pick up a weapon for your future warfare. I'm reminded of a young man named David who would later become king. And if you remember right, he was uh, uh, just tending his father's sheep. And his brothers, they had been asked uh, to come. One of them was going to be chosen to be the next king of Israel. And David wasn't even invited. How many of you haven't even been invited to your own party? Some of you feel like you're ostracized on the other side of a mountain waiting on God to move. Some of you feel like you're alone in the world and all the people who should love you don't love you. Can I just say, in my life and all through the Scriptures, those seasons and those times are where you gather the tools and the weapons for your overwhelming future victories. King David, uh, as he would become, uh, the Bible says that he went to go take his brothers some bread and some cheese. And I don't know about you, uh, but if my brothers didn't invite me to a party, I probably wouldn't want to take them a snack. But either way, he goes and he takes the brothers some cheese and some bread. And while he's there, he hears this man screaming, railing accusations against the God of Israel. And he says, is everybody just going to be quiet and let this heathen yell against the God of Israel, the one who delivers us, the one who saves us, the one who's strong? And his brothers, they did what, their bro what his brothers had done the whole time. They said, hey, listen, little boy, you need to just shut your mouth because you don't know what you're talking about. You're just trying to get attention. Did you know there's something called false humility? If you're anointed, bless God, you're anointed. You don't have to apologize for your anointing. You don't have to apologize for being saved. You don't have to apologize for the favor of God on your... I'm not going to apologize for any of it. I'm not going to apologize that God set me free. I'm not even thinking about apologizing. Matter of fact, I'll give you a road map how you can be set free. But I'm not fixing to be ashamed of what my father did for me. What if I gave my little girl a beautiful blouse, my little nine-year-old Haley Golden Hallam, I gave her a beautiful blouse, and I said, this is your favorite color, she loves horses, say it had a horse running on it, just this beautiful blouse, and she just put it in her closet and said, you know, I'm never going to wear that because I, I just, I don't want everybody to think my daddy loves me too much. Now that doesn't make any sense. So why in the world would it make sense for us to be ashamed of the blessing of God on our life? The only way that this church is doing what it's doing right now is because of the blessing of God. I'm getting calls every week from pastors saying, How are you doing this? How are you doing that? How, how are y'all buying this? How are y'all doing that? And my answer is real simple. The blessing of God is overtaking us. 
I don't understand it all the time, but I'm not going to be found not busy about my Father's business. We're going to push towards the mark. We're going to press. So David, uh, he gets there, and, and, and he's taken before the king, and he's all kind of promises made to the guy who killed the giant named Goliath. And he goes in front of the king, and the king says, Man, I tell you what, you're just a young boy, uh, but, but, but I, I, I think I'll let you fight him anyway. Look, why don't you take my armor, take my sword, take my shield, and you can use that, the, the royal armor uh, of King Saul, which would have been huge, because King Saul, the Bible says, was head and shoulders above every man. Uh, but, but so many times in your life, things just don't fit right. Did you know the will of God can be discovered by finding what doesn't fit. Sometimes we don't know what to do, but bless God, we almost always know what not to do. Don't grow weary in well-doing. In due season, you'll reap. So King David, as he would be later, he puts on that armor and he goes, you know, King Saul, I appreciate it, and you're a big guy, and this is a neat sword and everything, and I'll be honest with you, I'd like to take a selfie with it, but... I don't think I want to use this sword to fight that giant. You, you see, I watch my daddy's sheep. And, and the things that I, I use, I've gotten very good with. Particularly this old slingshot I've got. And I can go get me some stones. I saw a little creek uh, right down the way. I can go get me some smooth stones. And I can pick them up. And I can put them in my pocket. And I could probably use that. You know, I, like I said earlier, I killed a lion and I killed a bear. I grabbed the lion uh, by, his, by his chin, named him Cecil. <laughs> that is so wrong. Oh, my gosh. Matthew told me to say that. I killed a lion and a bear. All I need is what I've got. I've spent my whole life preparing for this moment. I didn't understand why I was alone all the time. But as you can understand, a young boy in the middle of the wilderness with nothing but sheep to talk to gets pretty bored. And while I was out there, I didn't have much else to do. So I got really good with the weapons that I carry around. I can throw a rock and make it skip 20 times with my sling. I can hit a, a tree 50 yards away with my sling. And if you didn't know this, King, you don't buy a sling like this. I made this sling. You see, in those days, there was no Gander Mountain. There was no academy. All the men said, oh, me. <laughs> so if you wanted something, you either had to find somebody who could make it, or you had to make it. And a sling like David used was made out of leather, probably three parts uh, one line here, one line here, and then a pouch that would hold the rock that would come out in the middle. And it would be made, and, and maybe David had, had made several of them, and, and he had finally developed the one that just fit him right. It wasn't, it wasn't 24 inches long, it wasn't 26 inches long, it was 21 inches long. And when he slung that, he knew exactly how it was going to feel, he knew exactly how it was going to work, he knew exactly when to let it go, he, went, he knew exactly what size rock to put in it, he knew everything about the weapon because he built the weapon. But to start... To build a sling, you need some ingredients, really just one. 
you need leather. And if you want leather to build a weapon, the first thing that has to happen is some flesh has to die. Something has to die for you to get the materials to build the weapons for your warfare. In your life and in my life, we all carry things. We all carry ideas. We all carry idiosyncrasies. Can I just encourage you today to allow God to kill everything in your life that is not pulling you in the right direction? Let me be very clear. Doubt has to die. God does not operate in doubt. He operates in faith. Unbelief has to perish. God does not operate in unbelief. He operates in faith. The idea that God would want one of His children sick has to die. God does not want you sick. He, yet, he let His own Son bleed and die so that we could quote the verse that says, the two verses that says, by His stripes we were healed. There's something about the manufacturing of your own weapons that makes them more personal to you. I've been through some things in my life that might not mean anything to you, but they mean everything to me. You've been through some things in your life that might not mean much to me, but they mean everything to you. You see, God has a way of equipping you through the trial and tribulation that you're enduring to overcome the next one that you have to endure. There's something about God that takes you and takes His best, most trusted people and puts them in the most hostile environment so that His glory can manifest. I don't know why we have to go through everything. But what I certainly know is He brings us through it all. There's something about living for God and developing your own weapons that become your testimony. So David had the courage to fight a giant not because he was a shepherd, but because he'd killed a lion and a bear. David had the audacity to believe he could lead God's nation, not just because he was anointed, but because when all the men acted like sheep, he acted like a shepherd. He said, I will not sit idly by and let some heathen Philistine curse the God and the country that I love. You and I have the opportunity to rise up in faith at almost any moment at any time. Some of you are believing God for a physical healing for your own body. Maybe others are believing God for a physical healing for somebody that you love. All I can tell you is in the middle of the valley, when the giant is screaming the loudest, reach into your pocket and pull out the testimony that you have that God did for you. Because even when you don't know the Word of God as well as we could know the Word of God, you know your testimony better than everybody else. That's the personal weapons of our warfare. Now, the general weapons of our warfare, I'm going to go through them quickly for the sake of time. Boy, this is a Wednesday night message. This could go for a series. Ephesians 6 identifies our armor, the Bible says. It talks about the helmet of salvation. 
The helmet is very interesting because a helmet is only necessary when you don't know you'll need it. When you are going to ride your motorcycle, if you got a text message that morning and you knew, hey, I'm going to wreck my motorcycle today, you would have your helmet on. But we don't know when we're going to need our helmet. That's why we wear our helmet. So whenever you fall, whenever you do something that's out of the content of your character, just know the helmet of salvation is protecting you in God. The shield of faith, which the Bible says, above all, the shield of faith, so we can quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Now, faith will block everything that comes against you. Doesn't mean you won't see and hear the fiery darts. It just means they won't have any effect. The, 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 the belt of truth, what holds it all together. A, bre a breastplate of righteousness. Which is to say, we should just live righteous and holy before God. You know, God didn't save you from sin so that you could go back with it and roll with the muck and the mire with the pigs. That's not what He did at all. On the contrary, He saved you from sin. So a person, a human being, is in one of two categories. You are either dead in sin or you are dead from sin. But when you no longer live but Christ lives in you, the old adage of WWJD starts to make a lot of sense. Would Jesus do this? Would Jesus be sitting at a bar at 2 o'clock in the morning shooting shots? No, he would not. And you shouldn't either. Jesus wouldn't cuss the lady out at the bank on Monday morning. And you shouldn't either. Why? Because you're a Christian. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You represent the kingdom of God. You're an ambassador. If a U.S. ambassador in another country decided to cuss out the, 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 the embassy uh, workers or otherwise, they would be fired and they would be brought back to America and they wouldn't be allowed to represent the kingdom. You and I ought to get serious that we represent the kingdom of God. People are looking for somebody whose feet are firm on the foundation of Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean we don't miss it from time to time. It just means that we're pressing towards the mark, not just living lollygaggy around, floating all over the surface, acting like whichever way the wind blows, quesera, sera, no quesera, nothing. I'm pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ. When somebody looks at me, I want them to see something different about me. Somebody tells me they're sick, I want them to know there's going to be a knee-jerk reaction of faith come out of my inner man and we're going to lay hands on you and we're going to see the gospel be true in your life too. The breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the gospel of peace. Put the peace on, peace on your shoes. You know, when, when the prodigal son came home, the daddy, he, he literally said to him, he says, I want a robe on him, I want a ring on him, I want shoes on his feet. Could you imagine... About my wife and I, we do our evening walks uh, on a dirt road. And, and like there's these rocks. And even like wearing like tennis shoes that you're supposed to walk, you're actually supposed to run in them, but nothing's chasing me. <laughs> so walking on this dirt road, every now and then you'll step on a rock wrong. And it's like, oh, could you imagine having to be barefoot and do that all the time? I mean, it happens all over the world, and, and maybe I'm just tender-footed, I don't know. But he's so concerned about your level of peace that he defines your feet one of the most sensitive and exposed areas in your life. He desires for the peace of God to just wrap you up and carry you throughout everything. 
then he says this the sword of the spirit which is the word of God of all six of these items it's the only item that would be considered offense everything else is defense a helmet you don't swing your helmet at somebody unless it's like a last resort you don't throw your shield oftentimes your breastplate stays there you keep your belt on real tight or you'll lose it your shoes you don't just go throw in your shoes but that sword you're supposed to use that thing you're supposed to swing that thing. That's the general weapon of our warfare. General, not, 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 that doesn't mean watered down or weak. It just means everybody who calls on the name of the Lord has access to this weapon. I can't speak for all your personal weapons. I don't know everything you've been through. You can't speak for mine. You don't know everything I've been through. You don't know all the record. You don't know all the testimony that I have. You don't know all the things that I've been through and endured so that I can be like David when I get to my giant. I can say, no, I'll kill that giant because I killed a lion and a bear. You don't know what's in me. But what we do know is the Word of God says the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Jesus, when he's described as as riding up on a horse, it talks about a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. The Word of God. He's a strong God, a holy God, a good God. I was going to go there, but I'm just going to quote it for the sake of time. Isaiah 54, 17 promises you and me that no weapon, no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. That means that there's not a weapon that's going to be successful that, 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 that comes against you. There, there's not going to be a weapon that rises up against you that's going to work. That doesn't mean you won't feel it. That doesn't mean you won't see it. That doesn't mean you won't hear it. It just means it's not going to work. No weapon. Everybody say no weapon. One more time. No weapon. No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. In the last three weeks, we had three different members of our prayer team that were in auto accidents. The devil tried to kill three different people, but no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says like this. It says the rain comes down from heaven and it doesn't go back. It doesn't go back, but it literally causes the seed to plant, or the seed to bring forth the bud, and that will bring seed to the sower, the Bible says. Just the same way that the snow and the rain come down from heaven. It doesn't just turn around and go back. It does what it says it's going to do. Verse 11 says it this way. It says, The Word of God will not return void. That means it's going to accomplish that which it set out to do the word of God it further goes on in the same verse 11 to say the word of God will prosper so the prophet Isaiah inside of about 20 verses he says no weapon formed against you is going to prosper but the weapon of our warfare the sword of the spirit which is the word of God will prosper The problem is, nobody ever hurt anybody with a sword in its sheath. Somebody's got to pull it out. Brother Johnny, stand up for me, please. You stand right here. Everybody give Johnny a hand. He looks real handsome this morning. Let's say Johnny's got a weapon in this hand, and you're obviously the bad guy. And I am a child of the Most High God, obviously. Any weapon in my hand is going to work. 
And I don't care if you put an atom bomb in His hand, it's not going to work because no weapon in His hand can prosper against a child of the Most High God. You say, well, what about, I, I, got, I know somebody that was believing God for a healing and they went to heaven. When did heaven become a penalty? The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ to you, but for me to die is gain. No, heaven is our reward, the Bible says. No weapon in his hand is going to prosper. When they came to get Jesus, when that lynch mob came to get him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was found doing what Jesus does, which is pray, which means when the enemy finds you, I wish to God he would find you in your prayer closet praying, because that's when the violent really take it by force. So Jesus is in the garden praying with his disciples, and up walks the, the, the lynch mob, and they got stabs, they got sticks, and they got swords. If the disciples had a revelation of what Isaiah said in, in chapter 54, they would have started shouting because all of a sudden they would have known none of the swords in their hands are going to prosper, but we're standing here with the sword himself, the word of the living God. You can sit down. Thank you, brother. There's something about living for God and pressing towards the mark. Believing God at every corner, in every area, in every single area. Let your children see you believe God. Put it on the line. Though none go with me, I will follow. Put it on the line. Believe God. You want to see miracles? You throw the gauntlet down on the devil. You say, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. None. No weapon. But this word. You know, I'll tell you, I'll, de I'll describe for you the devil's favorite Bible. It's sitting on a bookshelf covered in dust. Because if that Bible is not utilized for what it is, the sword of the Spirit, then it's difficult to promise you that something will be successful because it's not utilized. Psalm 23, around verse 5, says, He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You don't understand, Pastor. They're coming at me from all sides. I wish you'd get a fork and a knife because you're about to eat. You don't understand, Pastor. I don't have enough. I wish you'd get a fork and a knife and put a blank, put a put a napkin in your shirt because somebody's about to have a banquet in front of them. Without an adversary, I can't promise you the banquet. But if you have an adversary, I can promise you the victory. No weapon no weapon formed against you is going to prosper Isaiah 55 11 I want to read it Isaiah 55 11 you don't have to turn there so shall my word go forth out of my mouth it shall not return unto me, but it shall accomplish which I please, and it shall prosper. It will be successful in the thing 
whereunto I sent it. God promises you and me that no weapon's going to prosper against you, but the sword of the Spirit will always prosper for you. Please bow your head and close your eyes. Oh God, your Bible is true. We believe it.